Hello, uh, my name's Chris Lane. I'm Claire Cook. And this is the Not Forgotten Podcast. And today we're really pleased to have a special guest, uh, Al Barrett. Al is the rector of Hodge's Hill Church in Birmingham on the Furs and Bromford Estate. Al is also an author and theologian who launched his latest book, Finding the Treasure, at our Not Forgotten conference. So welcome, Al. Thanks, Chris. Um, I I wonder if you want to add anything to what I've just said about you. Um, I found that on a bit of paper. So... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I've been uh, living on the First and Bromford Estate for the last 13 years, um, and that's how long I've been uh, vicar in Hodgehill as well. Um, And I guess one of the most significant things for me in that time is that I've had the privilege and the joy of being part of a long-term intergenerational journey of nurturing community, um, building up uh what we call locally a community ecology uh in our neighborhoods uh of which the church locally has been part um and it's been a wonderful journey of ups and downs of fragilities and wonderful joys um and i'm still here and um you've been there for, since 2010 did you say right so, yeah, yeah which is um i guess perhaps longer than than some might be in, in one place in terms of the Church of England. Is that something you just intend to be there for a long time to come? Um, I'm certainly, I've certainly been here longer than the average vicar these days. Yeah, yeah. Um, the simple uh, but complicated answer is I'm not sure what's next. Mm. Uh, I'm certainly got a sense that I need to be around for a few more years. Um, but I think part of of this stage of the journey for me and for uh, some of the things that I'm involved in has been a sense of of slowly stepping back um, and actually kind of releasing spaces that I have been in uh, to to other people stepping into those spaces. And uh, yeah, that's that's felt important, uh, and that in itself has been has been part of the part of the work. I think right. So tell us a bit about this project that you've been working on. Um, I love the title, Finding Treasure, Good News from the Estates. Um, Really fascinating project. So um, it was a group of theologians coming together with practitioners um, to explore just a little bit deeper, I suppose, in terms of what we're doing when we're planting churches on estates and and really trying to notice what God is doing what the Holy Spirit's doing too and to kind of encapsulate some of that and try to understand it I suppose and recognize the work of God uh, through this this project and obviously it's um, become a book so just can you like tell us a little bit more about that that whole process you know even just of bringing together theologians and practitioners and um, you know how's that been? Yeah thanks Claire um I, I would say, yeah, the bringing together has been really important in it. Um, in many ways, it's felt like it's been quite an experiment in bridge building mm. and in translation as well. 
Um, so I've, I've said in several places now when we've been talking about the book, um, there are all kinds of ways of doing theology in and out of um, our estates. Um, and this is just this is just one way. Um, but what's been important about this uh, project, which started what feels like in the mists of time now, pre-COVID uh, in 2017, uh, and has taken quite some effort to kind of sort of bring together in the end. Um, and that's been, you know, that, that challenge has been significant in it. Um, but it, like you say, it's brought together academics in university and theological college environments with local practitioners who've been, you know, mostly vicars, but also a church army evangelist who've been in a state context for some years uh, before we started this project. Um, bringing together those, but also bringing them together with estates Christians, mm -hmm. members of the church communities in those places, but also bringing them together with other neighbours in those estates contexts as well. So this has been trying to do theology, not just within church and certainly not just within academia, but to try and build some of those bridges. Um, and key questions that we uh, were inviting and encouraging people to ask in the different, the five different estate contexts around the country where we did this piece of work were, what's what's great about being here what do you what do you love about living in this place um but also what what are the what are the griefs what are the what are the pains what are the wounds of of living here um and in the midst of that trying to to find ways of asking and opening up the question and where's god in the midst of that Mm. Um, and what's been fascinating was um, the the practitioners, the context, the theologians had quite a bit of diversity between them. So there's no there's no definitive answer. Um, mm. It's much more of a patchwork. Or um, one of the images we used that came out of the Withenshaw uh, estate in Manchester is is that sense of weaving. Um, there's lots of different coloured and sized threads being woven together here, um, which at its best is is a beautiful symbol of, of the kingdom of God, um, but messy, uh, certainly not not neat in any yeah. way. Yeah, I, I love that. I love that you they're the two questions that you're talking about. What's what do we love about this place and where are the griefs? Um, I, I wonder sometimes if we look for God in the positive stuff, you know, what's growing, what's thriving, where's where are our lives being changed? And of course, that is part of where God is at work. Um, but also the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, right? So, you know, um to to pause and say, where are the griefs? You know, where what's painful about living here? Um it's so important to to look there actually too to see god where are you at work and I, I wonder if we sometimes avoid that because it's messy and because we just don't have a solution necessarily that will bring a quick end to those griefs and those pains um we we kind of have to then step into the part of our calling that says that we sit with those 
that are in pain, those that are grieving, and we sit in the mess as God sits in the mess with us, you know, and there we find God too. So that's, you know, that's such a rich well of learning there, isn't it? But tough. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, you're, that, the way you phrased that was really helpful, um, because I think one of the things that characterises this project and this book, but also certainly the ministry that I've um, discovered in Hodge Hill over the years, has been that our, our temptation to fix things is, is often quite strong. Mm. You know, we we feel like we need to prove ourselves. We feel like we need to have an answer to the to the the hard questions. We feel like we we're there to make things better. Um, and actually, of course, sometimes all of those are true, mm. but a lot of the time they're not. Um, my my good friend and colleague and um, one of the leaders of the Poverty Truth Commission nationally, Andrew Grinnell, mm-hmm. um, who himself has had. Uh, quite a background in in living and working in the states communities um he talks about our our gifts often being our wounds and our Mm. wounds often being our gifts and actually i think we've discovered in this piece of work and and yeah more um more long term in, in in my experience that our wounds can often be the places where we meet each other can often be the places of encounter where actually the ground we can discover is holy um as much as you know the places where actually we're sharing our abundance of of passions and gifts and skills and the you know the things that we that we rejoice and delight in god having given us um so yeah it's not easy um Mm. and i think it it demands of those of us that imagine we're kind of taking the initiative or or maybe those of us and i speak for myself who in many ways are multiply privileged in some of these contexts actually it demands of us an attention to our own woundedness um as as part of that opening up to encounter yeah and it's that um that holding of those two things together of the what do you love about um living here and what are the wounds and griefs i think often in my experience a lot of the church will go one way or the other and and it'd be like this is all the positive things let's let's tell the great stories or they will just kind of live in the difficulty and just be with but actually the, the two things when held together can bring about the most um i don't know the, the most beauty really I, I think that those two words you used earlier mess messy and beautiful are just what we've seen so many times in languedy and our estate and, and and those some of the stories that you tell um in this book as well they're, they're both true at the same time aren't they yeah, yeah absolutely and certainly I, I've found, and not so much in this book, but in, in a lot of the other work that I've been doing recently, I've been really struck by um, the metaphor of composting. Um, mm. But actually, you know, when we talk about life and we use organic metaphors, you know, often we focus on on the growth, on the on the new things springing up and, and kind of getting getting bigger. Um, but actually the cycle of life only only works if there's, death and dying and decay and composting as well because that's you know that the ending of those life cycles is what nourishes the ground to enable new life to come and you know you can't have one without the other mm. and, and I think 
it depends on our personalities as to which one of them we focus on more and or what which one's more difficult i think for me as a relentlessly positive person that was a real hard learning point in the first few years of coming to terms with the fact that exactly what you said involves death and 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 things decaying in order that that more life can come mm. um, so it's it's a challenge depending on different things are challenging depending on where we're at in our own personality and our own background yeah mm. no, i think you're right and if i can just give a, a little concrete example um so less than a couple of weeks ago one of our oldest congregation members died um phyllis who was 92 um and she has been for many years locally she she's lived on the estate since it was built um she has been for many years kind of a, a foundation stone of our of our congregation but also an inspiration um in the midst of our community building work locally we we call her one of our original connectors uh mm. she was one of those people who knew everybody and who was known and loved by everybody for for so much of her life and would kind of would know when someone was in need and would know someone else who maybe needed to be brought in to help them um, and in her final days, Phyllis wanted to die at home. And so she was surrounded by this little community of care 24-7 in the end, none of whom were paid to be there, but all of whom were, were friends and neighbours. Um, and her passing has been has been really sad. But actually, in the midst of that, the legacy that she's left behind mm. in terms of the wisdom and the love and the care and the community that she's nurtured um is is just actually it's full of joy mm, that's beautiful isn't it and i i love that there's there's something so honest and true isn't there about um that kind of holding grief and also like little pinpricks of joy or um celebration or sharing stories with one another you know um it's just part of what makes us human I think that you know I don't know that we are very good at like being always and only happy or always and only sad very often it's a bit of a funny soupy mix isn't it where you know you can be in a real moment of grief but but something funny happens and you yes. kind of laugh as well. Yeah, <laughs> Do you absolutely. know what I mean? And then yeah. you're kind of like, oh, that, that is funny. And we also are grieving right now and this is really yeah. painful, you know. And the, the, there's something just really real and honest and mm. raw about that, isn't there? That mm. that we're, we're not pretending, you know, we're not kind of pretending one way or the other. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I love that. I love that sense of there just being no ego, no kind of pretense, you know, no, no, like, oh, we're the Christians. We've got to have it all together that that we can actually celebrate and grieve. You know, we can laugh at the funny things we can, you know, and, and sit and cry with the heartbreaking things, mm. um, you know, at the same time. And I love that. I think that's the most honest kind of that we sometimes we are you know mm, when absolutely. we're at our most honest yeah 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 definitely yeah, I think um just just going back to the the book a bit I'll um that the first chapter that you write is a kind of introduction to to all of the, the case studies um mm. that you talk about three things finding and hiding and responding mm. and um 
I really related to the stuff you said in in finding where sometimes there's a sense of you just stumble across something which is just just blows you away and yeah. and you see this beauty that you weren't expecting and then another and another and the other way is about you know you're intentionally searching like the lady in uh, Luke 15 mm. um and and I just thought that was such a great summary of our task really it's to keep our eyes open for the unexpected discoveries um and and to celebrate them and and, and tell those stories uh, but then there is this kind of intentional looking and going we're not going to take this narrative of that, that people have put on our community of mm. it's this it's that but actually we're gonna we're gonna intentionally find the thing i think when we first moved into languithy people were hidden away because it had been so traumatized by violence and gangs that um that people just wouldn't come out of the so you you would walk around and it would just be people causing trouble and it would be boarded up houses and closed and locked doors mm. but gradually as the community emerged and we we engaged with each other again it was you there was all this treasure that was hidden and it that in our case it was hidden because of fear um yeah. and yeah I don't, I don't know if you want to speak a little bit about the the finding yeah so I mean, certainly locally, that has been that's been a lot of the story, and and those those two aspects of it held together. Mm. Um, so you know, I've I've talked for some years now about about the importance of being interrupted, about kind of you know we might have an agenda, often we might have a plan for for how an event's going to go or um, or what we think um, needs needs to happen, but but so often it's it's those interruptions particularly from from unlikely people the people in the corners uh, the edges um that actually bring kind of an, an explosion of grace um there's a there's a story that i that i treasure um locally from uh one of our community nativity plays which led led by our local theater group um where the plan was to kind of have the final stop on the journey um at the fish and chip shop uh where um sonny who runs the ship shop uh was going to play king herod and then we'd we'd end up at the church at bethlehem in the stable and uh you know mulled wine and mince pies and stuff um but when sonny had delivered his line he then said right everyone into the shop free fish and chips all around and literally kind of we were there for the next 30, 45 minutes or so. Um, and, you know, that gift of grace and that explosion of community uh, that was totally unexpected, that yeah. just just yeah. happened in the moment because of who Sonny was and, and the moment we're in. Um, but yeah, on the other hand, actually, you know, patiently, painstakingly over years, plugging away at, at kind of looking for those treasures, looking for those gifts in our neighbours, um, now, at one point, naively in the past, I would have said, you know, it's as simple as asking someone, what are you passionate about? What's, you know, what do you love and mm. care about? What, what do you know about? What are your skills? And, and, and it would instantly be unlocked. But I think, you know, we've learned over the years that sometimes it happens in a moment and sometimes it takes years to, to encourage someone to believe in, in what they have inside them. Uh, to know what they have inside them and to to build that confidence to to share it um 
And I think one of the things particularly that, that characterises um, life on, on many of our estates for many of our neighbours is actually, you know, life knocks us sideways a lot of the time. And you can you can kind of get really engaged in stuff and really, you know, your confidence can be built up um, and and life can feel like it's going well. And then something happens. And in a moment, you know, it's all just it's all knocked sideways. You don't have the capacity that you had uh, to to be involved in stuff. Um, you know, we've lost people who've been leading groups and activities um, in an instant because they've been hit by illness or, um, you know, suddenly their financial situation is is totally up the creek and they, they have to just put all their energy into surviving. Mm. Um, and so I think kind of honouring that fragility is is part of, of recognising that a lot of the time the finding the treasure is a slow, mm. slow process and it's never a sort of linear up either. It's always kind of loads of, of ups and downs. Um, which is why I think I'm quite allergic to counting a lot of the time because you know counting's great when when it when the numbers are going up, but when the numbers are going down, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're you're failing. Mm. That things are actually going badly. Um, you know, it just it just means that a lot of this stuff's really fragile. Yeah, yeah, and that's one of the things we explored quite a bit in the evening session of the conference about. How do we thrive in fragile situations? How do we stay focused on what the Lord's doing? How do we be encouraged and encourage each other in that? I think sometimes we think, sometimes we can think the fragility is my fault or it's a problem that I have to fix. Whereas I think it's just a lot of the times it's just about us having that calling of living out what it looks like that God's strength is shown in our weakness um, and how and the faithfulness and the trustworthiness of God. Mm. Um, I think that's that's one of the things we explored quite a bit in the evening. Mm. Yeah. And this, you know, the second point that kind of leads on to, I suppose, in this, in the book is about the sense of things being hidden or hiding, you know. Yeah. Um, I love that you kind of compare that with um, the, this deprivation, but to kind of reframe that perhaps as suppressed abundance mm. i love that i love that sense you know what, yeah. where is the abundance and how is it being suppressed mm. and and perhaps looking for different things counting different things you know mm. what, what what does the treasure look like it might not be the same kind of treasure that we are trained to look for mm. so yeah absolutely and i think i mean it feels important to me that you know that asking the question about how is the treasure the abundance being suppressed kind of points our attention in a number of different directions so it you know it it's it points our attention to something about neighborhoods like ours where actually for years stories have been told about us that you know we're, we're not worth anything there's mm. you know this is a place of lack of deprivation of need of problem um, and how those narratives can often be internalised by people, actually, you know, where our neighbours begin to believe that about themselves and about their places. Um, I think it points us to, 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 to some of those structural questions. Actually, you know, a lot of this stuff is a result of 
policy decisions mm. of of where money goes both from government and and often from church as well um and actually the drivers of suppression can often be really big scale stuff in our society and our economy um but also i think it asks a question of people like us as well uh ministers and and leaders uh within our communities that actually you know are we not noticing the treasure because we're we're anxious because we're you know we're we're feeling the pressure of of the agenda that we uh put on ourselves or the agenda of our institutions uh of having to prove ourselves mm-hmm. um so so yeah they the suppression can can come in different forms from different directions i think um and to notice yeah how is the hiding going on it's like a, and, an important question and how do we value how do we learn as a as a, a whole church to value those stories and those and that learning that, that is gained from the kind of estate contexts um i think even in a church context you get that language of thinking about the church of england you know that church isn't meeting its parish share or it can't do this or that and it's it's often the story of lack and and it's being provided for by you know others uh, who are and 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 actually the stories that are being produced you know the 91 year old lady who's uh, lived this incredible life you know that story doesn't pay the bills but the church needs to hear it you know and and it's and it, it that's that story gives inspiration to others and 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 that's and it helps them to continue in the faith and that that's ultimately what we're doing isn't it Absolutely. One of the words I'm most allergic to in church speak is is subsidising. Yes. The sense Mm. that, you know, somehow the the kind of the economically rich churches are subsidising ministries Mm -hmm. in areas like ours. And kind of, you know, if you take a purely financial perspective, then maybe that has some truth about it. But but the economy of God's kingdom is so much bigger and richer than that. And actually, um, one of one of the things I love about the book is that it ends with with what we've called the Twiddle Declaration, um, which is some some powerful words of affirmation and of rejection uh, mm. that have come from the people of of Twiddle, uh, a parish in the, the the Medway towns of Kent, um, that was worked on by. Uh, members of the church congregation in conversation with their vicar and Richardson and with the the theologian um, Justin Stratus who uh, was working with them and it kind of it was shaped in a back and forth process so it's not you know it's not just the authentic language of local people Um, but there's something really important in that because there is this is directed at the wider church you know, this is directed at the centres of power. This is directed at the places of affluence, of of economic affluence within the church. And so, you know, the language is, is framed quite intentionally in a way that we hope some of them will hear. But it is exactly that of saying, you need us as much as we need you. If not, maybe even more so in the kind of the skewed economy of God where actually... Um, you know, as as Mary sang, uh, the the powerful are brought down from their thrones, and and the lowly are lifted up. Um, you need us. You need the gifts 
that we have here that we want to give you we want to offer you you need the wisdom that is that is embedded within our communities um you need the faithfulness that actually has been lived out here for decades if not centuries um and actually uh you know that that in a sense is some of the affirmation in the twiddle declaration but it comes alongside a rejection of anything in the language and in the thinking and in the structures of the church that that resists that 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 you know is defended against the gifts and the challenges that come from places like twiddle mm-hmm. um yeah yeah and i think what i really value about that is one of the things is that you know so um for us our values are centered around being christ-centered about being hope-filled and mission orientated and i think that that what i love about that um that declaration is that it feels to me almost like a cry that let's not center a particular um segment of our society to say this is what church looks like you know um perhaps like you know church isn't middle class church is centered on jesus and and it's that cry again isn't it to say like let like we need to remind each other that we center on jesus and nothing else and therefore um all the expressions of church declare the goodness of god declare the lordship of jesus gather in worship around him um and if that's the thing that we center if we you know if we center the fact that we are christian communities centered on jesus the way in which we gather the language which we use the spaces we gather in um are are all sort of uh equally joyful uh, expressions of church as opposed to i wonder sometimes if we've got ourselves in a position where one shape has been centered mm-hmm. around and and then others sort of satellite around that mm-hmm. um i think that's a really important shift to make that's why things like the Twi- twiddle declaration is important for us it's a gift for us as the church it's, mm-hmm. it's not always easy is it for us to hear things like that reflected back to us i remember um there was an estate that i was um d- beginning to do some work on and um the 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 kind of key people in the community said um you can come and do your church stuff but don't try and change who we are and I thought that was a really interesting thing to say to the church it's obviously come from somewhere you know um whether that's true or or a um you know interpretation or something I don't know I don't Mm. I don't know what the kind of history is there but I thought that was a really interesting assumption that if the church comes they're going to try and change you you know to be something different um I think we need to hear those voices, don't we? It's a gift to us that reminds us, oh yeah, this really is all about Jesus. Mm. Um, you know, and um yeah, uh, and you say about how we need um humility and courage, you know, when we're planting that humility to know that God is already at work in mm. a place, but also courage to have utter confidence in the gospel of jesus you Mm. know that jesus is good news for the people around here um and part of our task is to discover what god's already doing how is that good news already at work and then to be bold 
and so in putting our confidence in that mm, mm. yeah no absolutely and i think i mean i guess the um the complex the paradox of the incarnation in a sense is that kind of the affirmation that jesus is like us um and i guess you know one of the joys over the years here in in Hodgill and on the first and bromford estate has been you know my my neighbors discovering that jesus is not some white middle class um institutional figure um but actually sits around sits around the kind of tables where where we share meals in in the midst of our community at the at the hub which is our, our um youth and community venue on the estate and uh, at street parties where uh, you know people bring their chairs and their tables and their cakes and their um their kettle and you know and make make community together that jesus jesus is around those tables mm. one like us um on the one hand but but also jesus is comes to us as different um and and in the difference in the surprise of that difference actually there's there's something that can sometimes be unsettling um but mm. not as a demand but as as an invitation into you know a world that is so much richer than than often what our, our small narrow horizons um make it um and i think that you know that sense that jesus is different to us can often be the biggest challenge for the for the middle class bits of the church actually you know jesus is not made in the image of people like me mm. um actually jesus speaks through the accents and the voices and the rootedness of people that have lived their lives on the first and bromford estate or the twiddle estate or the withenshaw estate um and actually, if the church doesn't pay attention to those voices, then the church is not hearing the voice of Jesus. One of the things that I really love um, is that sense of uh, celebration of what, what you've discovered, what you're discovering and what, what we're discovering in the, these communities. Um, there's a, a bit just at the end of that first chapter where you say we need to recognise that the kinds of treasure that we've stumbled upon and actively sought out in these estates communities are gifts to be re received delighted in and celebrated not just locally by the churches in these places but by the whole body of christ and i just think often over the years i've been to loads of like urban practitioner estate practitioner things and often they're a bit depressing or it's kind of like uh let's talk about how bad the place is how hard it is and <laughs> and there's such there's such a lot to be celebrated and and all of those three um, parables in Luke 15 end up with a big party with food yeah. and celebration and and if you look at it it's like this woman found one coin it's not that big a deal the guy found one sheep and it was kind of he had 99 others anyway and, but learn I think learning to celebrate the ones and the twos and the, the 91 year old lady and uh, you know it's that's a massive gift that we have to give you know it won't change your statistics very much but it's it's a thing of beauty that we need to hear, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the gifts that I have received again and again over the 13 years I've been here has has been the gift of parties. Yeah. Um, you know, I kind of I grew up in a very middle class environment where my mum and dad would invite people around to dinner. 
um, and it was all very sort of stiff and and formal. And actually, the way people party here is nothing like that at all. Um, but it's just so much more joyful and uh, and sort of brimming with life. Um, I must admit, there are some ev evenings when when I hear the music coming from the block of flats just just behind our house. <laughs> And my heart sinks a bit because I think if I if I need an early night tonight, it's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, but actually, being being invited into those parties has has been one of one of the greatest privileges of of being here. And you know, to go full circle to where we started, I guess, kind of the capacity to party and celebrate in the midst of stuff where you know life's often pretty shit yeah um and to hold those two together and and celebration almost uh sometimes as a defiant protest against um the shitness of life uh actually you know that speaks to me of the heart of the gospel that says something to me about resurrection and what what that what that really means and yeah. the church could learn a lot from it yeah, I love that. I'll tell you a funny story. Um, so we've just moved to Morecambe just before Christmas. So we're we're kind of fairly new into the area still, but um, we love going for a walk along the beach in the evening. And there's this guy who is uh, only quite a young guy. I would say maybe early thirties, maybe late twenties, uh, and he's on a mobility scooter. Um, but he's pimped up his mobility scooter, and he's got this like sound system that's on the front of him and you hear him before you see it and he he spends most of his like kind of days especially with this good weather that we're having at the minute and he just goes up and down the stretch of the um of the prom and he's got this like hardcore dance music pumping out of his speaker and he and he just like he goes up and then he'll kind of do a little you know kind of it's not quite a handbrake turn but I think if he had a handbrake he would you know um just sort of scooch around and then whizzes back down the other end of the prom and I love it because he like you know he totally disrupts all of us who are there you know from the peaceful walk with the dogs or whatever um I love it because he just totally transforms the atmosphere of the whole prom into a party and um and yet you know there he is he's there on his mobility scooter and I think oh I love to know his story you know and um but that's a, I think that's just a real lovely example of that you know if somebody's just you know life's not always easy you know and um there's obviously some, some stuff going on there but let's turn it into a party and celebrate anyway and invite everybody else in whether they want to or not you know, okay. you'll be you'll be embraced into his party. I love it. I love him. <laughs> if he's not there, I miss him when I'm doing my my daily walk. <laughs> um, but yeah, but there's there's something of that, isn't there? That is that is hope filled, isn't it? It's a really joyful thing, and um, you know that um, that these kind of gifts that that different communities and our estate communities offer us, um, it really is a sense of hope isn't it and mm. and often of joy I've never laughed so much as I've laughed with people who um you know kind of in our estates and and um facing really difficult situations but my goodness they know how to laugh you know yeah. they know how to find the the fun and the funniness of life and they know how to tell a good story you know yeah. and and have a good laugh together and um it is such a gift 
isn't it to the wider church to to the rest the rest of us you know and and um that sense of hope that that when life is really tough and difficult and crap then yeah. that there is a there's hope to be found isn't there there's joy to be found and um Jesus is found there too mm, yeah and I think with that and it's a bit of a cliche but you know that's where hope is different to optimism you know I think many of my neighbors on this estate have lived enough of life to know that it's not particularly likely that things are going to get better yeah actually they don't have a particular optimism in you know the next wave of politicians who promise that you know suddenly it's all going to be transformed but actually in the midst of of surviving the hard stuff again and again and again like you say those kind of those points of life and joy and celebration that that is the hope that actually you know when all said and done the stuff that will last is the is the good stuff the stuff yeah. that will endure that's not perishable um is the love and the life and the joy and the laughter and the celebration and the partying um and you know i think we as christians have a a funny relation to time in that sense that you know the the kingdom of god uh that is in some ways kind of a future promise is also just breaking into the now and actually our our attitude to to the life of Christ is is to notice it all over the place and to jump into it when we see it. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And I'll, I think we're, we're heading towards the end of this chat. Um, we just want to say we really appreciate your your work and all that you've put in and the kind of gathering that team of people and uh, producing this. I think we just need so many more of these kind of stories and reflections on what's going on in the estates and obviously the, the conference was specifically about what happens when we pioneer and plan and what what, what people learn in that context but the, the the group that we've gathered together their stories need to be heard uh, again and again and so we really appreciate your work um in all of that and um is there anything is there anything else that we've missed just before we finish from the book in particular that you just think I really want to say this this thing um so I think I, I I said it in our little piece at the conference but one of the images that has really stayed with me is an image from from Rubery which is um an estate on the edge of Birmingham the other side of the city from me uh where they did the flash floss feast um under a flyover that's uh like in so many of our neighborhoods kind of went straight through the middle of the community, kind of separated it into two. One of those non-places of uh, sort of grey concrete ugliness that we've had imposed upon our, our estates. But what they did, uh, uh, the council told them they couldn't, um, they couldn't decorate the concrete walls of the, of the underpass because that would, you know, that would be damage to the to the beauty of the of the structure um so what they did uh, geniusly was uh they used uv paints uh to create beautiful pictures um and of course in normal light you couldn't see them at all so the council were happy but with a uv light they shone up in all their beautiful technicolor 
and for me that's just a it's a wonderful image of mm. of what what we're about when when the light of christ is shone on on these places that are so often sort of dismissed as as non-places as ugly as 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 gray um actually seen through a particular light their glorious technicolor beauty um and that you know that's that's what wakes me up in the morning and and keeps me going from day to day and that's that's what stirs hope afresh in me yeah that's amazing i love that story thanks for sharing that again um alex it's been so good to to chat with you and um you know as with all things the the conversation continues doesn't it you know we continue to live in these places we continue to explore uh, to learn from one another to um celebrate with each other as well you know all of the the joys and then sitting with one another in the challenges too so just want to say thank you for coming and sharing with honesty and uh, openness about all of that and and as chris said thanks for the work that you've been doing uh, and uh, we we really value it thank good you good to chat to you today it's been great <laughs>